the Mike Tomlin Game Day Podcast with Steelers Digest Editor Bob Labriola. Okay, Coach, let's deal with the elephant. Who's your starting quarterback today? Uh, Mr. Bisky will start today. Uh, so earlier in the week, you said that you were going to work both guys in practice, uh, provided Kenny wasn't uh, cleared from the protocol, which is what, what ended up happening. So what did you want to see uh, during that work week before you made your decision? You know, it's really cut and dry. Um, I wanted to see Mitch's ability to bounce back um, from the last performance relative to taking care of the ball, um, and he displayed that. And I wanted to give Mason an opportunity to get some uh, live varsity offensive reps, which he hadn't had a lot of opportunities to do in this regular season, to check his level of rust, um, his ability to anticipate uh, his timing with those guys and in, in, in seemingly live action, I wanted to get a feel for. Uh, he did a good job in that regard. So on Tuesday during your news conference, when you were asked about your defense and the loss to the Ravens, you referenced run game schematics. Uh, what would be some general examples of run game schematics? It's just the fronts and the defenses that you choose to employ based on known run game issues. You know, a lot of offenses have personality. The Baltimore Ravens have personality in that 42, their fullback, and 84, the tight end, the blocking tight end, take you to the run game fight. And so we, we set defenses based on their location, for example. We'll do similar things in this game. Um, their tight end, 80, carries you to a lot of run game fight. And so we'll set defenses and make schematic calls based on those things. And what I was referencing is not just putting the outcome of our performance solely on on the backs of the players. Man, we got to whoop blocks and make tackles, but we as coaches have got to do a really good job of putting them in position to do the above things, and and that's the schematic component. Uh, When you refer to divisions of labor when it comes to preparing for an opponent, what does that mean and how detailed are the plans when it comes to executing it? In some instances, it's very detailed. In some instances, uh, depending on the level of skill per position required for the task, um, it's not. Anybody could do it. Uh, Some routes, a limited number of receivers in your receiving core can run because of skill set. Stop-go routes, some of the big guys – you know, don't do don't do a very good job of that. For example, um, in in the running game, some certain perimeter runs are for scat backs and not downhill guys. And so, if you just look at it from that perspective, um, there are divisions of labor within a group. Um, there are different body types within a group. Uh, some linebackers are are pass situation dime linebackers. Some guys are or downhill run defenders. And so there's just the specialization in the game, and that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about a division of labor. Um, You're doing a good job when you put guys in position to do what it is. They naturally do well per their position, and particularly in those weighty moments. Um, Things get more specialized the, the weightier the moment. Situational ball, possession downs. That's why you see coverage nickels coming in versus slot receivers, uh, et cetera. Pass rush specialists that play exclusively um, on third down or in two minute, uh, for example, on the defensive side. It's just a lot of examples of specialization, and most of that occurs in situational ball. And that's what we all talk about today when we talk about dividing the labor up. So it doesn't necessarily mean snap counts. Like you'd like to rotate defensive linemen. Sometimes T.J. Watt needs a blow. Sometimes Highsmith needs a blow. That's not division of labor. but what it, it, it can be, but that's just a component of the discussion. Um, the, the, the meat of the discussion is putting guys in position to do what it is they do best per concept.
So if you're talking about snap counts, and except for a guy who looks at the sideline, taps his helmet, you know, he wants to come out, who who's in charge of that? Is it his position coach, the coordinator, you? You may have other position things. coaches specifically. Uh, myself, coordinators, we got more global things going on during the course of the game. Now, we may dictate um, how that is managed during the course of the week. That is decided as a collective. But the in-game management usually falls on the positional coach if there is a specific snap count for whatever reason, health, conditioning, age. There, there are a myriad of reasons if you're just looking at division of labor from a snap count perspective. But, again, most of the time there there are other more meaty components of the discussion uh, like situations and putting guys in position to do what it is they do best. Uh, you called Baltimore's Calais Campbell the most significant and accomplished kick blocker in our game today. How does a field goal unit go about minimizing such a player? Recognizing when you're in the kitchen um, and doing what's appropriate, having urgency. They move them around depending on the placement of the ball, ball in the middle field, ball on the hash, et cetera. Um, depending on if somebody might be a weak, but was seemingly a weak link to them from their perspective uh, in schematics, there's a lot of reasons why you move a dynamic guy like him around. And so having a B to where he might be is something that is difficult to manage because of all of those variables. And so one of the key things that you can do is in-game, when you line up, uh, recognize where he is located and those in his close proximity feel the urgency of that. Another thing you said was, Football is a legitimate, humble man's game. What did you mean by that? That's not often talked about enough. Football players are viewed as, you know, um, alphas, combative people, competitors, etc. But I think it's important that people realize um, that it's a game for the humble, um, that you get challenged in this game at this level um, in really unique ways, man. Nobody wins all the time. Uh, you get physically beat. You get intellectually beat from time to time, meaning you get tricked. Um, there's a lot of things that keep your feet on the ground in this game, um, and 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 I just respect that component of it. Um, the men that play this game, that have played this game, uh, respect that component of it. Um, it's like the combat specialists in the MMA world. Um, there's an honor in that competition um, that maybe those that are entertained by it don't fully understand the competitors do. Uh, and so there's a respect and humility there. One of the traditions in the NFL is the post-game handshake between opposing coaches. Uh, is that something you do because it's done after every game all over the league, or is it meaningful in some way? It's just something you do. It can be meaningful uh, just based on your personal relationship with, with whoever that opposing coach is, but most of the time it's just ceremonial things that been, have, have been done, and, and you just – Showing respect to a mutual combatant. So you go out there, um, the, the, there's cameras all over the place. I mean, it's not like it's a private moment or anything. Uh, and it always seems like that there is a little bit of conversation, what, what's usually the subject of the conversation. Again, it depends on the nature of the relationship of the two parties involved, but it's less so now than it used to be because of obvious reasons, as you mentioned. Um, there's just not a lot of moments of intimacy in our business anymore. Um, everything is made for television. There are boom mics and cameras everywhere you go. And if you got a personal relationship with somebody, you just assume send them a text or give them a call um, in a more intimate setting because, unfortunately, 
um, that component of it has been lost in for entertainment value. In your career in Pittsburgh, you've experienced the post-game handshake probably at the highest moment and the lowest moment. That would be after winning a Super Bowl and then after losing a Super Bowl. What were those like? You don't remember either. There's so much going on in those moments. That's what I mean when I say it's it's somewhat ceremonial. In an environment like that, um, the intensity of that environment and things, there's so many other things going on that I challenge you to find a coach that, that, that remembers that moment or, or the intimacies of what was said or, or what have you. You're swept up in a, a carousel of things if you're the winning coach and you're trying to get off uh, get off that, that playing service if, if you're the losing coach because that confetti raining down is not for you. Okay, I got a rules question for you. Uh, the offense is in the huddle. The play clock is running. With less than 20 seconds left on the play clock, the offense decides to substitute a couple of players into the game. So then the defense is given the opportunity to match those substitutions with its own. How long is the defense given to match personnel? It's it's up to the discretion of the officiating crew. Um, they're given some latitude there in terms of what is reasonable. And, and so that's something that's continually massaged. You might have defenses that are moving slow in that instance and trying to challenge them from a play clock perspective. But generally, the officials do a solid job of managing that. And and it is a common sense judgment. I don't know that any of us, you know, overthink that from a strategic perspective, to be honest with you. Okay, so let's flip it around and say – uh, the defense substitutes the players. The defense is the one that initiates the substitution thing. Okay, if the offense isn't interested in in matching, can it just run up to the line of scrimmage and snap the ball? Yeah, the defense uh, substitutes at his own risk, I think is the best way to describe it. The offense doesn't have to match. They doesn't have to wait. The offense's pace dictates what happens between plays, and that's just the reality of it, not only in our league but in at any level of play. The offense's pace dictates what transpires. The amount of time that the defense gets a chance to communicate, the amount of time or opportunity that the defense gets a chance to substitute or not, um, all of that's dictated by the pace um, and style of play of the offense. So how, lo- how, how much play clock will the officials allow to run down while standing over the ball waiting for the... Again, it's, it's something that's... You know, not not discussed is something that's managed, um, and it's a lot of that in our game. And I know for discussion fodder, oftentimes people like it or people hate it, um, but that's just the nuances of our game. Uh, Lyman downfield in the passing game is officiated by the term a healthy yard. Well, what is a healthy yard? It might be a yard to half for some crews or some individuals. It might be two yards for others um, or two and a half. Um, there's a lot of that in our game, and I think those of us that are in the game understand it and, and respect it and teach it from an educational perspective, but it doesn't necessarily create comfortable or fluid conversations um, in, in layperson settings. What makes Brian Burns the elite edge guy he has become, and what is his fourth NFL season? He has a, a distinguishing trait in that his burst and straight line speed is really unique, and over the course of his career, he's he shaped out other aspects of his game to highlight it. It's no different than baseball. If somebody's capable of throwing 100 miles an hour, they're not going to become a legitimate starting ace until they play off of that unique trait uh, with the development of their game. Uh, what I see from him is a guy that has developed his game around a unique trait, and 
and that and that's what makes him formidable and and doing the things that he see that we see him doing today. What did you learn from? Uh, uh, what did you learn about Sam Darnold during the pre-draft process in 2018? I don't know that I learned a lot. Um, he went so early in the draft, it wasn't a serious consideration for us. And oftentimes in, a, in an effort to save time and focus my energies on who might be in play for us, I, I, I do less than a thorough job on those that I know that are, aren't going to be in play for us. That's the Mike Tomlin Game Day Podcast. Subscribe and download new episodes every week and check out all of the other shows we have to offer on the Steelers Podcast Network that's available on the Steelers mobile app, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.